Let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 5. I love the church. The church of Jesus Christ. The ecclesia, the called out ones who assemble together for work and worship and witness. I love the church, the body of Christ. His hands, his feet, his voice. The visible representation of the Son of God who loved the world and gave himself for it. I love the church because it's the family of God. Brothers and sisters who are connected together, born again into one family and dwelt by the Spirit of God, called to live out the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, called to the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Multiplying Christ-like disciples, just like our mission statement. That is a biblical mandate for all believers. Last week, we looked at the formation of the church. And it's critical for us to understand how God brought this organism into being. In Acts chapter 2, we, we find the formation of the church at an event called Pentecost. And there the fire of the Spirit descended and fulfilled the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples that he would send a comforter. And the promise that was given in Acts chapter 1 that they would receive power. The foundation of the message, the message that Peter preached that day, the message that was validated by the coming of the Holy Spirit was all about Jesus Christ. How he was a man of signs and wonders to prove that he was the Son of God. How he went to the cross and shed his precious blood in payment for our sins. How he was buried and rose again to new life. And at the end of that message, we discover the first harvest of believers. 3,000 souls were saved. Can you imagine? 3,000 people came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. The church did not come into existence because somebody thought it was just a good idea. Because people needed companionship or even wanted a service club. The church came into existence because the Holy Spirit of God worked in the lives of the people of God. And God desired an assembly of called out ones who would be a spiritual house, a holy priesthood that would offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 2 tells us, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love the church. Because it is the church that is called to live out the commandment of Jesus Christ to love one another. And Jesus declared if we do that, all people will know that we are his disciples. I love the church because we are to be witnesses of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love the church because we are ambassadors, representatives of the King of kings and Lord of lords. 
This morning, I want to continue that theme as we recognize the wonder of the church. And I want to begin by sharing with you, I love the church because of whose we are. We are indeed a purchased people. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is gathering the Ephesian leaders together. And he challenges them to pay careful attention to themselves. To work with the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made them leaders. And to care for the church. And then he reminds them about the wonder of the church because he says, it's the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Let that sink in, will you please? I love the church because we are a purchased people, purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You and I were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. And we are indeed a purchased people. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 reminds us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit whom we have of God and we don't belong to our, ourselves. Because of that truth we are to glorify God in our body and in our spirits which belong to God. What does that mean? That means that everything we do represents Jesus Christ. Every interaction we have, every contact with a neighbor that is ours, every Facebook post, every social media, every text, every tweet, every retweet is a representation of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. I love the church because of whose we are. We are indeed a purchased people. And I love the church because of who we are. We are a purposed people. Our text here in Matthew chapter 5 is a familiar one. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus is talking to his listeners, he gives to us the contrast between cultural understanding and biblical commitment. And then he says down in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. I want you to note the first two words of verse 13 and verse 14. Underline them in your Bibles, will you please? There Jesus says, 
you are. Not you should do. Not that you hope to become. Not that this is something that may be accomplished in your life. Jesus said, you are. Humus este is the Greek. Humus, you yourselves. This is your personal identity. This is how people will see you. This is what they will understand about you. Este, this is where you belong. This is your being. This is your character. This is what is shown to to others. You are. What does he say? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You see, it's very important that we understand who we are. And we are a purposed people. A purpose that God has given to us that identifies our character and relationship with a holy God. For a number of months now, I have been doing a bi-monthly blog, devotional, if you will, and I've entitled it, I've Been Thinking. You can get the video on our website, or you can listen to the audio on the app. And at the end of last month, I did a blog that was entitled, Being is Different Than Doing. I want to share that with you at this time. Watch it with me, will you please? I've been thinking. Over the last 10 weeks, we have had to work hard to discover how to do church differently. Here at Calvary, we are doing our morning worship service as a live stream. Many of our life groups are meeting through a virtual technology. Our children, even our youngest ones, have their own Facebook page that allows them to stay connected as families and to grow in Jesus. Our students are meeting at their regular time on Wednesdays, but are using Zoom to connect, to interact, and to share. I meet with Pastor John and Preston on a regular basis. But as we do that, we do it from our own homes as we keep our distance. Last Tuesday, we held our deacon, trustee, and board meetings through the wonder of technology. And every Wednesday evening and Sunday morning, I meet with our leaders to pray for you and ask God to work in all of our lives. Yes, we are learning how to do church differently and our ministry differently. But here's what I've been thinking. Are we learning to be the church differently? Have these times of COVID-19 forced us to quit doing and start being? If so, I believe that is a very good thing. So many folks have contacted me and expressed their desire to physically get back together, to be able to connect as the body of Christ. I'm so looking forward to that special day. But as important as that is, to be back together physically, we should not be defined by a building. Going to a building should not be the end all of church. Checking a Sunday morning or Wednesday evening or 
even a special meeting box, is not what the church is all about. Being is much more important than doing. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the church, the body of Christ? It means that as Christ-like disciples, we are to make a difference in the lives of those who are around us. It means that we are to go into our worlds and represent Jesus. It means that we should take our love for our Lord into a hurting and lost world. It means that we must not just go through some spiritual motions and check off some spiritual boxes. Christ said that his people were to be salt and light in this world. That they were to be the light and salt of the world. He identified salt, that which seasons, that which preserves. He talked about light, which provides direction, encouragement, and helps people see their way when things are dark. No matter what is going in our lives, we, God's people, need to be. Because Jesus said that we are the church of the living God. This is identified as being salt and being light. To help those around us live a more enjoyable existence. To live in such a way that our world, whoever lives in our world, whoever we touch in our world, wherever we go in our world, that everyone recognizes that we are who we are and we do what we do because we belong to Jesus, because we are part of the family of God, because we are the church of the living God. So I've been thinking, since we have not been able to do church as we have in the past. That is, to be together in one place as the body that we call Calvary Baptist Church. I believe we are now discovering what it means to be the church. I know that we all recognize that it is more important in God's eyes to be the church than to just check some boxes and do church. So how are you? How are you doing during this time of not being able to assemble together in the building? How are you being the church? That's what I've been thinking. Now, what do you think? You see, the reality is, as a purposed people, being the church is much more important than doing the church. We will never change the world by going to church. We will only change the world by being the church of Jesus Christ and living out our relationship with God in a culture that needs hope and that is lost in, in so much darkness. Salt and light, common, ordinary commodities that are so, so necessary. And Jesus used these two identities to help his followers recognize who they were and to live that out in their lives. I think it's important that 
we recognize salt and life are different in some ways. Salt does its work internally. Light does its work externally. This week we are going to focus on verse 13. Where Jesus says, we are the salt of the earth. Next week we will focus on verses 14, 15, and 16. Where we are reminded that we are indeed the light of the world. Now, I don't know if you've given much thought to salt. But the History Channel lists 14,000 uses for salt. And we recognize the value of that very simple commodity. Let me share with you seven reasons that salt is so important to our society. Number one, it is used for payment. In fact, in Jesus' day, salt was more valuable than gold and was traded among nations. It was a form of payment. In fact, you've heard the term, worth his salt. That expression has its roots in ancient Rome. There, the soldiers were sometimes paid in salt or given an allowance to purchase it. The word salary is derived from the Latin word salarium, which originally referred to a soldier's allowance to buy salt. Yes, salt is valuable because it was used as a payment. Salt is also used to preserve life. W. Philip Keller has written a number of books which I would recommend to you. He's written A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. As a horticulturalist, he's written A Gardener Looks at the Fruit of the Spirit. And one of my favorites is Lessons from a Sheepdog. In his book, Salt for Society, he says this, Salt is the very key of health, strength, and the vigor of people who live in hot climates. It is an essential ingredient for proper body metabolism. The normal exchange and retention of fluids within the cells depends upon the salt present. When heat and humidity are high, the body becomes subject to enormous stress through the loss of moisture and salt in perspiration. When I was in high school, about this time of the year, we started to think about football practice. And as we would go and, and train and deplete our body's resources, we didn't have Gatorade. We didn't have any of those drinks that reinvigor the, reinvigorate the body with electrolytes. We had salt tablets. And those salt tablets that we took were so necessary to ward off cramps and to give us the energy that we need in order to make our bodies what they needed to be. Salt is also a preservative for food. If our culture is putrefying and decaying, we then as a church should hold back from indicting our society and critiquing our political leaders and begin preserving by repenting. We should ask ourselves, Lord, have we lost our saltiness? 
Have we lost our flavor? Have we lost our effectiveness in this society? Over the past week, our country has been in turmoil. Many, many cities have had demonstrations. And in many cases, they have turned those demonstrations into unlawful acts. So how do we respond to what has happened this past week in our country? I have a friend who pastors in Minneapolis, Indiana. And he lives one block away from where those demonstrations in Minneapolis were taking place. I talked to him, and he said that the difference between night and day is, is such a contrast. After the riots, during the day, people from the suburbs would come in and clean up the streets and clean up the glass and, and help the business owners rearrange their stores. But at night, it was chaos. I asked Lee how he and his wife were doing. He said, well, as far as I know, we don't have any bullet holes in our house yet. But less than a block away were where the businesses in our neighborhood were burned. I said, Lee, what do you do? How do you minister to that culture? How, how do you share in their lives? He said, Tom, We've had a long-term involvement in our community. In fact, our church, which is only another block away, has not been touched. And the reason we think that's true is because we have had programs and resources for students who have struggled and need to have a second chance. He said, we can't just look at what's happening now. We have to have a love for our community that is ongoing. And we need to interact with our community. Now I would tell you that biblically. We need to condemn. All unlawful acts. Whether they are perpetrated by. Those who are supposed to be in authority. Or whether they are caused by those who are trying to make a statement. But I would also tell you that we need to be involved in such a way that the love of Jesus Christ radiates from our lives. Because as salt, we are to be a preservative for our culture. If we only react to cultural events, then we will never have a long-term impact on our world as influencers for Christ. A reaction to just cultural events does not change the underlying issues, issues that so desperately need to know God's love. Again, Keller writes, only the restraining influence of the presence of God in a person's life can counteract this downward drift. Only the total transformation of human character can slow the sure slide of subversive and destructive lifestyles. Only the quickening 
preserving power of God's Spirit in a soul can save it from succumbing to corruption by its contemporaries. Yes, Jesus declared, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is a preservative. And the body of Christ needs to live that out. Salt also is a binding partnership. It was used to declare a covenant of loyalty and fidelity. In Numbers chapter 18, the priests of the temple entered into a covenant of salt before the Lord. And that salt covenant was not only for them, but is also for their children. Perhaps you've been involved with a wedding ceremony where the wedding covenant is identified by two individuals, the bride and the groom, taking separate containers of salt and blending them together as one. Salt that permeates is a partnership between us and the Spirit of God working through us for His honor and His glory. Salt is also very pungent. It is a sweet-smelling ingredient. It was used in ancient rituals for sacrifice. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, You also... As living stones are built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The fragrance of Christ should emanate from our lives. And those around us should understand the wonder of the Rose of Sharon. Salt also penetrates But in order to penetrate, the salt must be applied. You see, you and I must get out of the salt shaker and into the world. If we are to season our world for Jesus, we need to go into our world with the good news of Jesus Christ. I love the book of James. James chapter 2 says, You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. And although we recognize that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We also recognize that you and I, as children of God, were created unto good works, that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Salt is to penetrate our world as applied to our world. Salt also ministers to those who are parched by thirst. As the salt of the earth... We should be making those around us thirsty for the living water of Jesus Christ. People should say, there's something about you that creates in me a thirst for what you are enjoying. 
On Thursday, I was on a video conference with some missionaries. Missionaries to Thailand. And as each one was giving their testimony, I was interested in ma'am's testimony. Yes, ma'am is Taiwanese. And she said that she was Hindu from birth. And she went to missionaries to, to learn to speak English. She was not interested in their religion. She was not interested in their faith because she was satisfied with the karma that was part of her life. But as she was exposed to these dear servants of God, she recognized that they had something she did not have. And that was a love and compassion and concern for people. As the salt of the earth, are you quenching the thirst of those around you who are parched? Jesus, in our text, simply says, you are the salt of the earth. The earth, you have an impact ministry on all that you come in contact with. But then he cautions us. And he says, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You see, there's a danger of just being pavement. A soil sterilizer, if you were. In ancient Rome... The roads were cleared of grass and weeds by applying salt. But that only happened when the salt had lost its, its value. In the book, Manners and Customs of the Bible, we read this. It is a well-known fact that the salt of this country, that is Palestine, when in contact with the ground or exposed to rain and sun, does become insipid and useless. From the manner in which it is gathered, much earth and other impurities are necessarily collected with it. Not a little of it is so impure that it cannot be used at all. And such salt soon degenerates and turns to dust, not to fruitful soil. However, it's not only good for nothing itself. It actually destroys all fertility wherever it is thrown. No man will allow it to be thrown in his field. And the only place for it is the street. And there it is cast to be trodden under the foot of men. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its taste, if the salt has lost its effectiveness, if the salt has been marred by imperfections, how can it be used effectively? It is of no use for soil or even the manure pile. 
It is thrown away. The kingdom servant who does not live according to his nature, his nature as salt is useless to the king's advancement for the kingdom on earth. One might even question his genuineness and wonder if such a person really has kingdom citizenship. I think it interesting that the rabbis of the New Testament use salt as a symbol for wisdom and then made this application. If the salt had lost its saltiness, it simply became foolish. Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are to be that element. You are to live in society, in culture, in such a way that it has a positive effect on those around us. You are to be the ingredient among men which will contribute to their health, their vigor, their very well-being. You are to do that on earth as an influence for Jesus Christ. Very quickly this morning, I want to give you four ways that you can be the salt of the earth. First of all, you need to share encouragement and optimism. You see, the world is filled with two different kinds of people. There are joy givers and there are joy suckers. And positive people have a positive impact on those who are around. If believers cannot live out a hope-filled life, cannot be a hope-filled people, then who can? In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, we are so hopeful because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Share encouragement. Share optimism with those who are around you. Actively be an example. An example of the love and life of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul writes, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Peter writes, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. And do it with gentleness and respect. We need to look for opportunities to be a friend. Proverbs 18 reminds us, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. And James tells us that if we are going to fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, then we must love our neighbor as ourselves. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Do you know your neighbors? Have you shared in their lives? Look for opportunities to be a friend. And lastly, tell people about Jesus. You see, the gospel is the only answer we have. 
And when life is hot and our resources are depleted, we need to share the gospel. When we are surrounded by enormous stress, we need to live out the gospel. When we are empty and about ready to, to faint, it's all about the gospel. I love the church. I love the church because we are a purchased people. I love the church because we are a purposed people. But the reality is, we will never change the world by going to church. We will only change our world by being the church and recognizing that we are the salt that Jesus sent into a hopeless world.